Amen. Thank you, Wesley. Can't help but see there's some new faces up here. Good to have you guys. Appreciate y'all. All right. Well, I want you to look at the introduction there on your outline. We're going to jump right in this morning. There's a lot of information I want to share with you concerning the belt of truth. The introduction says, the foundational truth in the Bible is that there is one God who has revealed truth and one can know him. However, Western culture has rejected God's truth and has created lies that have produced great deception. I think many people have asked the question, how did we get here? How did we get here in what appeared to be a, a, a timetable that was very fast? It's almost like the things we look around and see in our culture, it's almost like it came about overnight. And I think many people are perplexed. How did this all take place? How did it come about? If you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah 59. At the beginning of the sermon, something I shared many years ago uh, as we were approaching an election year, and this is something that I believe we must take note of if we are to see God do a miraculous thing here in our nation. And we know that it is, as we've sung about, it will have to be a move of the Holy Spirit. Government can't bring about what we need as a nation. Uh, no one can except for God himself. And it will be his Holy Spirit that will move on the hearts of those who make decisions, on the, the hearts of those who make up the churches. Because I believe the church is the mechanism in which God will use to bring about the changes that he desires, his bride. And he's called us to do that. But how did we get here? Well, the entire chapter of Isaiah 59 is devoted to defining and exposing the sins of a nation. Some say the Bible is out of date, but what we're about to read speaks specifically to us in the 21st century. It was written 2,600 years ago, and yet it's almost like we could be reading about this today. Isaiah 59, look at verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper's eggs and weave the spider's web. That speaks of intention, an intentional work of evil and deception. That's what this is talking about. He who eats their, of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments. or nothing of, uh, that will be productive. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Skip down to verse 14. Justice is turned back. God's justice is turned back. It's, it implies that what was, what was is no longer. And God's righteousness stands afar off. It's basically saying it's not even on the radar. For God's truth, truth is fallen in the street. And when it says that truth has fallen in the street, that idea means a violent takedown. It can also mean just something that's thrown out like trash and trampled upon. And that's what we're finding in our culture today, I believe, is that very thing. 
And then it says, and iniquity cannot enter. God's truth will not be upheld in public. That's literally what we're looking at here. Boy, could that be said of us today when we're looking around at where everything has gone and where we are today. You know, I can't help but think that this chapter is really an Old Testament version of God. God has given us over to delusion. We look in Romans chapter 1 and we see that basically they turned their back on God. They chose something other than God. They, they, they traded the truth for a lie. And they, the Bible literally says, and God gave them over to their own delusion. This is an Old Testament, I believe, reference to that same idea that God has the potential to give us over to our delusion. In Isaiah 59, 5, it says a viper. That viper, we know, is a poisonous snake. Isaiah is saying the people of Israel were eating those poisonous snake eggs. Those eggs were deadly philosophies where lies have replaced the truth. Ideas and philosophies that have been, think about it, that have been spawned by the enemy, swallowed by a nation, that has separated that nation from their God. In the last two centuries, I mean, you think about how did we get here? This thing's been brewing for 200 years where we are today. It's been coming. It's, and now we're just seeing the fruit of what started a couple hundred years ago. It, in the last two centuries, four poisonous eggs have produced four deadly philosophies from four men of great influence have shaped the American ideals. And there's many more, but there's four that really stand out. The four great men, great influences that have shaped American ideals. Number one is George Frederick Hegel. He's a father of Hegelian philosophy. He's the one who came up and basically said there were no moral absolutes. You can't say they're moral absolutes. There's no absolutes of wrong and right. There's no, nothing absolutely right, nor is there anything absolutely wrong. Now, the Bible's very clear. There's obviously wrong and evil, and there's obviously something that is right, that is righteous. And the Bible's very clear about those distinctions, but it came along. And so basically, it, when, you, when you're done with him, you're left with the conclusion that there is no standard of truth, and this would include God's Word. So we have the first to come on the scene. The second is Ludwig Feuerbach. He brought in... Hegel's philosophy. Then he asked the question, basically, if there's no one who brings supreme authority, if there's no one who sets what's absolutely right, what's absolutely wrong, if there is no God, then where did man get the idea of God? Furbach said that man wanted a God, so he created a God in his own image. Furbach said Christianity is just something made up by man to use as a crutch. And then we come to the third person of influence, Charles Darwin. Many of you know of him, father of evolution. He wrote Origin of Species and Descent of Man. And from his writings have come this. Basically, if you put it all in a nutshell, here's what it says. All life just happened. All things evolved from an ooze, then smaller organisms, and then billions of years later, from random selection, we have what we see today. From this thought, we have the theory of evolution. Therefore, no creator. No one created you. Therefore, there's no great purpose in one's life, and there's no one that that person is accountable to. 
You can see how this evolved, how this became about. And all this was taking place in what was called the Age of Enlightenment. Many of you studied that time period of history. But then Sigmund Freud comes along, and he, he basically said what many have said. Man is chiefly motivated by pleasure. That everything begins and ends with pleasure, with sex. If a man is repressed by society and cannot express his or her sexual desires, then it will result in unhappiness and therefore some form of type of mental illness. The answer and fulfillment to all of life is not by, live, not by living by God's word, but the phrase, if it feels good, do it. That's basically what you take from some of his writings. You're only accountable to yourself no matter how perverse it may be or how it affects the rest of society. You bring all this together, not just these four men, you start bringing all, the whole idea of the age of enlightenment together, and here's basically what you have when you pull it all together. Look here on the screen. You have no absolute truth, so there's no more truth that comes from God. There's no God. There's no hope, basically, in that. A godless society where there's no accountability. Evolution, not creation. There's no eternal purpose. Pleasure, not responsibility. Therefore, there's no restraint. And that is what we're looking at today. The, what was seeded back then is what the fruit we see today. And it's very obvious. You don't have to go far to see this as it plays out. The outcome has produced deception, death, and even disaster. There are some ideas that are being proposed today in the name of tolerance, diversity, and political correctness that are absurd untruths. And here's some of them. One religion is just as true as another. A woman has a right to choose as it relates to pregnancy. Evolution is a scientific fact. Let me just tell you this. It is not. It's not scientific fact. While creation is an outdated religious myth. Another thing that's come from this. All truth is relative and the most important virtue is tolerance. Any sexual expression between consenting, adult, consenting adults is healthy and the environment is sacred and animals are just as important as human beings. This is the world we live in. 19th century American psychologist William James once said, and this is something to take note of, there is no idea so absurd that if repeated often enough will eventually come to be believed. That's what we're seeing. That's what's happening. That's what, what, what's out there. These ideas have been and are being repeated so often, so effectively, that people, even professing Christians, have come to accept them as truth, regardless of how utterly preposterous they may be. You've got whole denominations who, who say they represent the teachings of Jesus Christ who are falling for this. They've embraced it. They live in deception. It is so important that we have the discernment to identify the lies and be able to counter them with God's truth. It's important. Let me just say this. There's, there's basically something in Scripture where it talks about be ready to defend basically uh, the gospel or the teachings of Christ or however you want to put it. Be ready to defend those things. But here's where we got to defend it in the, in, in the first place. The first place we got to defend it is in our own mind before we can defend it anywhere else. Because we live in a culture that's sitting ready to, 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 to take your mind to a different place. 
everything you've been rooted in to a different place. I'm starting to hear people basically uh, come up and they basically say, I no longer am a Christian anymore. They, I, I'm going to become this. And there's, these are well-meaning people who have impacted the kingdom of God and now they're walking away from it completely because they bought in to the lies of Satan, the lies of this world. We see it. Therefore, Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The series, as Christian said this morning, is suit up. We're talking about the armor of God. Last week, we looked at why we need the armor of God. And today, we're looking at what's called the belt of truth. And, and the belt of truth, if you look at this picture here, you see the belt, and, and it's there. It's got the tassels or the things that are hanging down there. That is the belt of truth, okay? Now, later uh, in the series, we're going to see how it literally holds everything together, okay? The breastplate of righteousness, all the things that are vital to the vital organs of the soldier, the warrior, everything is held together by truth. Boy, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It has to be held by truth, Okay, so, so basically that's what we're looking at today. But here's the second picture. This is what I believe, uh, is there a second picture? No second picture. There was supposed to be a second picture, I promise you. But anyway, there, anyway, we'll use this one, okay? But now, I'm, I'm, anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10. I'm trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and then the power of his might. We looked at this part last week. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, have we proven we know what that is now? Okay. For do we do not re uh, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this present age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I want you to think about how all this has been crafted for 200 years to what we're seeing as fruit today that's running rampant in our universities. It's everywhere. It's now made its way to the local high school. It's in the middle school. It's trying to work its way into the elementary school. All these different things that are, the seedbed is so clear. And it's a, it's a hierarchy of structure and scheming that's come together. And then he says, verse 13, in lieu of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And have done all to stand. Stand therefore, verse 14, having girded or tightened your waist with truth. Now let me just say this. We're either going to tighten with truth or we're going to tighten with deception. It's only two places you can go with this. You can tighten with the truth of God's word, and that's where you're coming from. That's what your worldview is. That's what you're building your life upon. Or you can build it in deception. And by the way, by the way, many more who are going that way. Many more are going that way. Sadly, some of our own children and grandchildren have gone that way, and it breaks our heart. I know it does, but they, they're, they're girded. How do I know they're girded? Because they'll come at you. You start mentioning some of this stuff. They know how to defend much of what they are deceived in now. How I many of you have noticed that? They can come right back at you. Therefore, we better know what we're talking about. We better tighten the belt of truth around ourselves. So let's look at some of these things that are out there. What does some of this produce? Well, recognizing the truth from the lie. Number one, biblical truth. God uniquely created the universe and each person in it. we got to go all the way back to the foundational truths of God's Word to debunk what we're seeing today. 
Okay, So the foundation of the biblical worldview is a belief in God who was and is our creator. Genesis 1-1, coming straight out of the gate. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we come to Psalms 139, and there's this beautiful picture there of Psalms 139 and how God created us. He, he literally created us in such a way that we're unique. He's given us a unique purpose about who we are. And then if you get down to the, uh, verse 16, he talks about the idea that there are days that are fashioned for us. Days that are fashioned for us. I want you to think about that. God didn't just create everything and just threw it out there or created you and just threw you out there. The Bible implies that he has specific purposes, and your days are fashioned by him. It's not the idea of the agnostic who doesn't know if they believe in God or not, or the fact that maybe they'll carry it a step further and say, yeah, everything got wound up, and he spun it, and then he walked away. No, he is here, and he's working in creation. The Bible's very clear on that, and he's doing that in your own life. In Psalms 139, it says that we're wonderfully and fearfully made. We, we see here specific design and purpose. When we see order in creation, a person with any common sense assumes there's a designer. Right? Doesn't it imply? I think I've told you this. Some of the greatest worship experiences, even though there were some contradictions in it, was study of biology. Even though they want to say all this came about through evolution, I know better. I can sit in biology and, and have a worship experience just seeing the complexities of, of God. But then we have a secular lie. The earth and people are the products of millions of years of evolution. All major disciplines in college education builds on this one theory. And by the way, it's a theory. And you go look, it doesn't matter if you study psychology, biology, chemistry, whatever it is. All the major things are rooted back and built upon starting with evolution. And do you know what's ironic about all this? A lot of scientists are actually moving away from the theory of evolution. Isn't that crazy? But you know something? This has backfired. By people not acknowledging that they are, 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 are creative for purpose, there's design to them, God's, there's a special purpose for them, it's backfired and it's left many people wondering what's going on in their own life. You know why? Because when you take away a creator, you take away purpose. You take away eternal purpose. And that leaves a big void in a person's life. And I believe, as you look around, and I'm not saying all of it, a lot of mental illness is because we've taken God out of the equation. We've taken a creator out of the equation. Now, can there be other mental illnesses in spite of Absolutely. I mean, some of the abuses people go through, all these different things. But I think the reason it's so widespread is we're moving further and further away from God. We've lost hope. We've lost purpose. We've lost the very things that are essential for us as a people. Next, number two, biblical truth. God established absolute standards for people to live by. You go all the way back to where the Ten Commandments is introduced. And, and by the way, God didn't just start with Ten Commandments. There's a whole books dedicated to it. And here's how it starts. And God spoke all these words saying. And that's when he gives his law. Jesus in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. 
No man comes to the Father by me. Now, when we look at that idea, no man comes to the Father but by me, we can say, okay, that's a salvation period, a, a salvation story. That, that's us coming to God. We, he makes us right before God. That's exactly what you should take it as. But it also means this. Truth only comes by way of Jesus. He's the embodiment of the Word. John chapter 1 tells us that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us, so you come later. And, of course, we know who that is. That's Jesus himself. And so we see all this. We come to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scriptures given by inspiration of whom? God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for, reproof, for correction, for right, uh, instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man, the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That your life will have purpose. Your life has meaning when it's wrapped up in the fact that there's a creator. That he specifically designed you in the way that he did. He gave you gifts. He gave you, and, and he even put you where you are today. There's a big eternal purpose that rests in your life. But many choose to walk away. The secular lie is there are no absolutes with truth. People set their own rules. And I want you to listen to this. When we begin to understand biblical truth, here's what we need to understand about God. God's will and desires for us did not come to us by speculation or evolution. It came by revelation. He revealed himself to us. There's this big world that's sitting here, and there's one who stands outside the world. His name is deity. It's God. He spoke into the world. That's what we need to understand. And if he's creator and he's speaking into the world, shouldn't we be listening? There's purpose in this creation. There's purpose in what he's up to. But there's many who says, nah, there's no absolutes. People set their own rules. We as a society are now just getting into the consequences and fruit of what we call relative truth. Think about what it says. As Isaiah said 2,600 years ago, truth has fallen into streets. It's been treated like a piece of trash thrown out a car window that's now trampled upon. That's what we're seeing out there today. Number three, biblical truth. People are sinful. How many of you woke up knowing that this morning? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think about it. We all are. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, the entire world became contaminated with the sin virus. And that was a pandemic that came to us, a pandemic. And there was no vaccine other than Jesus himself and the finished work of the cross and his resurrection. But the secular lie is people are basically good. People are basically good. And we would, there's a part of us that would like to believe that. But what does God's word say? We're not. We're not. Can we hold on for a while doing good? Yeah, we can. Some of us can make it 15 minutes. We do good. <laughs> but not defined, our life defined by good. Therefore, good people are, here's, here's, here's the lie. This is the biggest part of the lie. Because they believe people are basically good, good people are capable of creating a, a utopia where we all behave properly. This secular lie teaches if we could just bring people into the right environment, if the government is right and, and begins to step in and parent people, 
people will respond lovingly and peacefully because through the process of evolution, people are getting better. Wow. That's a lie. It's a lie. Number four, biblical truth. God sent his son to reveal his plan and die for the sins of others. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, we are in sin. We, we were born in it. We, we confirmed that we were because we were sinners and we sin, sin, sin. But Christ died for us. Think about it. It is logical that when God created man, he desired to communicate and have fellowship with him. But man was wasn't capable of discovering God on his own. So what did God do? He came down to earth and made himself visible, lovable, identifiable. The word became flesh. Now we can know him and his will for our lives through Jesus Christ and his word. We can know the one who created us and has a purpose for our lives. But secular the secular lie is that Jesus was a good teacher, founder of one of the world's major religions, but his word is not superior to any other religion out there. I want you to think about this. You read the teachings of Jesus, and many of you have heard this phrasing before. He's either Lord or, 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 or he is a, a liar like we've never seen before. He, he, he's not you got to choose one or the other. Because some of the things he said were pretty big. You've seen God, you've seen me. You've seen him, you've seen me. you see me, you see God. I mean, think about some of the things he says. I have the power over life and death. Wow. He's a big deal. <laughs> I want you to think about that. But that's what he did. So, so when the world says, oh, he's a good teacher. Now, he, it goes back to what we said before. He, he, the world, can't, he can't be a good teacher and them not follow it. If they didn't follow it and they believe he was a teacher, then they had to classify him as a lunatic. Right? I mean, it, logically. And that's the problem with our world we live in today. Not only did we throw truth out, we threw logic out. Think about it. The hypocrisy of the beliefs that are held in deception, how there's just so much hypocrisy that surrounds it. It's crazy. There are many ways to God to say that Jesus is the only way to God is ignorant and arrogant. It, 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 try to convert someone to this belief, I mean, it's considered intolerant. You're intolerant. Number five, biblical truth through Jesus there's an after, there, there is life after death. Jesus was there at the tomb of Lazarus. Uh, there's some things in the Bible, and I told the Wednesday night crowd this past week, there's some things in the Bible, I don't know, I just get excited about. You know, you know what I mean? Some of the Old Testament stuff, almost there appears to be times when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. I love stuff like that. I love it when Jesus is confronted with a dire situation. He comes out on, I mean, it's just, this is one of those moments. Jesus is there at the tomb of Lazarus, and Jesus, Martha was coming to him and said, how could you let this happen? You remember the story? And, and Martha's all been out of shape. I mean, she's tore. Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't be dead right now. Lord, if. <laughs> then Jesus says this, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may, may die, he shall live. 
Martha, I have authority over who lives and dies. Martha, do you really know who you're talking to here? I mean, it's amazing. The follower of Jesus has hope for life beyond the grave, but secular law is this. A person cannot know what lies beyond the grave. Death is a mystery. There's no assurance. There's no ultimate eternal meaning to this life. There's no real hope. Life will ultimately end in despair. But while we're here, let's make it the best it can be. That's the law. If you don't believe that God has the power to raise the dead then your life ends in sadness and despair. Then this world becomes all important because this is all there is. Ultimately, this point of view leads to self-indulgence. This world is all that matters. And the banner of this mindset is this. Life is too short not to be happy. My existence is too short, is, is too short, so, li- is too short so live it up. That's their bumper sticker. But we all know there's more. We are able to live for a life to come. Here's the bottom line. If a person believes that there is, no, there is a God who created all, then they know they must be accountable to him. Therefore, the goal is to erase and explain away the concept of a creator. Now, now that we've revealed the lies, how do we respond to the culture who's embedded in those lies? How do we respond to them? Look on your outline. Responding to the lies. Number one, be humble. Be humble. Accept God's revealed word as truth. You stick to what you know. You tighten the belt. Tighten the belt. Think about that. Now, why would that be the case? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's word is our only hope. It's the only power to withstand what's being thrown at us. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know. It pleased God through the foolishness of the cross preached to save those who believe. Here's what we need to understand. The world out there that we've been called to go to to share the gospel with, they're entrenched in deception. The cross and the message of the cross is foolishness to them. The only hope we have is what we sang about this morning. The Holy Spirit has got to work in and through them. And not only through them, to work in and through us. We've got to humbly walk in truth. We've got to humbly share the word of God in a way that we can reach those who are in deception. Number two, be courageous. Speak the truth in love regardless of the response. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But how are we to come, confront this? Speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into all things into him who is the head, that being Christ. You know what that means? We got a responsibility to tighten the belt of truth around us. We got a responsibility as Christians to do that. Next, be diligent. Give children a biblical foundation of truth. 
Let me just tell you this. We got some children around here. We do. Uh, big time. Um, it's almost overwhelming, but man, what a great problem to have to be overwhelmed by. But I'm here to tell you that we as parents are making a big mistake if we think our children share our values automatically because we take them to church. They're being inundated with the secular worldview every day in their normal environment. It's coming for them. It's there. I told you several months ago, they're not satisfied until they have our children. You know that, right? They want to radically change the next generation of people. And so one hour with Corby or Andrew and a brief Bible study is not enough. It's got to be established in our heart. And the only way it can be established in our heart is we as parents are going to be established. It's got to be established in our heart. Then we can pass that on. Time magazine predicted 90 years ago that the citizens of the 21st century will have no true knowledge of God, no interest in God, and no need of God. They came very close, didn't they? Schools in the near future will teach Christian mythology, much like we were taught Greek and Roman mythology. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you, speaking to parents, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, established in your heart. And then you shall teach them to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This isn't one of these things. Come in the living room, kids. We're going to sit here and read the word, words of God. Now, that's important. Don't get me wrong. But what does it say? As you go, let them see your faith interacted with the world. How do you interact with the world with your faith? That's how they learn. That's how they watch. That's what they do. That's what makes it established in them. And then next, be confident. God's truth will prevail in the end. Did you know that? It's going to win in the end. Heaven and earth, Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Here's the application. Behold, you, God, desire truth in my inward parts. What does he mean by that? Truth must be established. I went and looked up this word truth, and I, uh, I mean this word established. And it's saying exactly what I think it should say. It means founded and built upon. That means the truth comes to us, and it doesn't just come to us initially for salvation. There's something that's built upon. Built upon. It's established. It also means a permanent, it's permanent in position. So what does that mean? Truth must be established first in the mind, then in the heart. And the question is this, are you pursuing a heart that is established in the truth of God's word? Think about what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. You brought it in. It became a part of who you were. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, and this is the part 
the, the generations after us need to see, which also effectively works in you who believe. It's a working faith. It's a working truth. It's not a head knowledge truth. It's a working truth. And then here's a warning. The greater the chasm between secular lies and biblical truths, the greater the opportunity for persecution, which therein leads to a greater chance of compromising and even conceding to secular lies. And here's what I mean by that. A person can suppress the truth, laugh at the truth, ignore the truth, and exchange the truth of God for a lie, but all will be judged by it. Every one of us will be judged by the word of God. So if that's so important, what's the thing we've got to do based on what we said this week? We've got to tighten our belt. We've got to tighten our belt. It's got to be established. I don't know about you, but sometimes, how many of you after a big old meal, especially men, I've seen it happen. You unbutton the top button. How many of you have done that before? I did that on the way home from the restaurant the other night. <laughs> but you know what the picture is? It, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not only just having it. it it's the idea of it spilling over. Keep it buttoned. Put a belt around it. That's how full we need to be of God's truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, while we had a, a message this morning that we believe came from your word to our hearts, Father, we pray that we welcome it, not as the words of men that many are believing, but as your truth. Father, I thank you that when I was eight years old, I was first introduced to your truth by coming to, to believe in you as my Lord and Savior. And As a young man, I, 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 it, I was not only foundationally put there, but Father, there, there was something that was built upon in my life. That truth I, was built upon. And Father, I thank you for where I stand today. Not as a perfect man, not as a man who's made all the right decisions, not a man who was perfect in any way in anything that you asked me to do, but Father, I was one and am one who believes in your truth. And Lord, I want to know your truth. I want to live in your truth. I know that what's best for me is found in your truth. Father, help us to have a compassion for those who are outside of this truth. They're caught up in deception. It's so easy to get angry and say, why? Why? But Father, I pray that we'll come to that conclusion that you've caused us to, to stand in truth but reach into the deception to, to bring those out of deception into truth. Father, help us to not only be grounded in truth, but Father, be those who reach out to those who are in deception. That's what you call us to. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the way that you've worked in our hearts. Again, help us to welcome your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm so glad you came this morning. Let me just tell you that Stephen Hogg will be back here at the table. Let me just say this. I've heard the Collinsworth family in, in, in person. It's a great experience. You'll want to be a part of that. Uh, maybe some of you are not tech savvy by doing the QR code. He can tell you what to do. What